Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with the great Carmelo Anthony of the Portland Trailblazers, 10-time All-Star, three-time Olympic gold medalist, and owner of a lot of USA basketball and Olympic scoring records in his four Olympics, and 12th now all-time on the NBA scoring list, 26,808 points going into Saturday night's game against Washington. Melo, you'll probably pass Akeem Olajuwon at 11 this season. We'll see if you get to Elvin Hayes at 10. Moses Malone at number nine. Shaq is at eight. When you start to see those names, when you're climbing the list, you you think what? It's, you know, it's, it's I don't want to say it's funny, but it's just like, man, this, this, that list is different, right? You, you start thinking differently about the people that you're about to surpass. I mean, you know, Dominique, you know, you, you, the, the names start getting bigger and bolder and, you know, and louder, you know, Dominique and Oscar Robinson. It's like, you know, those names, what is names that I've never, uh, you know, imagined that I would be surpassing in the scoring, in the scoring race, scoring title. No, it's and, and the one thing I left out, Melo, and I want to start here. The father of Kyan Anthony, who is recently committed to Christ the King High School in New York, when when you went to Towson Catholic and then you went to Oak Hill for your senior year, I, I know there wasn't any social media. What was was it a story when you picked Towson? Not at all. <laughs> you know, it, locally, locally, just word of mouth. It was you know, wow, okay, he picked Towson Catholic. So it was it was a little buzz off of that, but <laughs> nothing like it is today. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you, well, I mean, listen, I know in the off season, even now you are, but. When you were out of the league in 1819 and you had left Houston, you were like the full-time dad on the travel basketball circuit. How, how different is that world from what you remember going to ABCD with Sonny Vaccaro and LeBron? I mean, that was a different that was a different world of travel basketball. It was a back then, it was a different world. I mean, you I, I was a part of it, I was in it back then. You know, now nowadays. I'm I'm able to just go there and just be a dad, but also be, you know, somewhat of a mentor to the kids. Or, you know, a, a, some of them call me, um, you know, big uncle or you know, whatever it is. I'm just able to do that for them, and I I, I started I started finding the joy back in basketball by being around those kids and being in the gym and watching them on the AU circuit and traveling with my with my black ops teams. Like that's where I found my joy back and the love for for the love of basketball again. I, I want to get to that, Mello, and but one question there: when you left Houston, and I think, I think there comes a point in your career. I think every player fights it. I think a lot of people around the industry fight it. Is the love of the game and the and the purity of the game of basketball, and how cynical you can get about the business of it. And when you get around young kids who are seeing it, their eyes are just. They're they're experiencing things for the first time. They're learning to play together. They're improving all the things that kind of take you back to your beginning when you didn't know about how luxury tax impacts whether I'm playing here and whether whatever it is is it was that part of the thinking and 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 the reflection that you had when you were out of the league for most of that season. I would say yes. Uh, for me, it was it was just it was more so you know, thinking about like, damn, like, okay, this is now I got to start putting things in perspective. Like, 
you know, this is the situation that I'm in. This, you know, this is a this is like an inside look in, into what will be after I'm done playing basketball. So I really have to, I, I had to start really locking in into something else to get my mind off of just not being in the game of basketball and being a part of it. So, you know, I started, you know, diving deep into my business, you know, endeavors and just, you know, putting those things together and putting plans together and going to meetings and having meetings and Zoom calls all damn day and phone calls all day and reaching out. So this is where, you know, I, even though I was away from the game of basketball, I still was able to utilize my time in a, in a productive manner. And between the time in Houston and Portland, Mello, you had pretty much checked out of the NBA game. You weren't watching. You weren't necessarily reading. Like players were popping up on teams when you came back that you didn't realize some of the movement around until uh, you got back in the league, right? Absolutely. I just it was hard for me to stay connected to the game, right? It, it, it's I mean, we at that point we're talking about sixteen years in the game. Right. And this, you know, something that I gave my all to night in and night out, you know, the 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 grind of the of, of the NBA and to be doing that up until that point at 15, 16 years. It was just hard to, you know, accept that fact and let that go. So in order for me to let that go, I had to, you know, own it, acknowledge it and, and like, OK, I, I, I got to get away from it. I just got to step away from it, um, you know, detach from the game of basketball so I can just get my mental right. And that was the way that I was able to cope. I didn't watch games. I didn't watch, you know, you know, I'm usually watching film every day. I didn't watch no film. I didn't watch no highlights. I didn't watch, I didn't watch anything when it came to the game of basketball. Melo, in Portland, and I, I was talking to your team president, Neil O'Shea, about this the other day. And he compares the the role and the impact you've had away from the court. We've seen what you've done on the court. Listen, care, helping to carry this team in this run with all the injuries, you know, to 18 and 10, you're averaging over 20 points a game on a, on a, on a run of, of uh, beating the Sixers twice and, and some really good teams. But it reminds him when he was in L.A. with the Clippers, with Chauncey Billups, late in Chauncey's career. And the way that Chauncey, who for a lot of that time was injured, he had the Achilles injury, the way that Chauncey was able to come in and just share some of the leadership burden with Chris Paul. And it reminds him of what you've done now and what you're doing with Dame Lillard. And obviously CJ McCollum's out injured and certainly his presence is, is massive there, but the respect you command in the locker room on the court, off the court, that's the way young players look up to you. Has he talked to you about that? And I think, you know, your history with Chauncey in Denver. I think he played some of that role for you and that team there, it, would you have imagined someone making that comparison about you? I, I mean, Chauncey is, is a guy who, like you know, like you said, I've I've been around Chauncey. I played with him. I've been in the locker room with him. I've traveled with him. I I know the I know the caliber of a person he is. Uh, that was that was something that you know I, I I always wanted to utilize and maximize. Just the conversations you know that that we've had. Uh, you know, seeing, trying to see things the way that he see it and, and how to deal with certain, certain, you know, instances and situations. So I, I took all of, all of that insight just from observing and talking and communicating with him. And I, I you know, I, I, I applied it to my own lifestyle and it, it wasn't just Chauncey. It was a lot of people, you know, a lot of vets that I played with, you know, whether they was vocal or not, it was things that I took from a lot of vets that I played with on, on just 
how to conduct yourself, you know, in, in the locker room, on the, on the team, playing on the bus, what to do and how to interact with the young guys, making them feel comfortable, not over, not overdoing it, but just in a, in a, in a, in a natural organic way, you know, where, where guys feel like they can come talk to me about whatever it is, if they, if it's basketball, if it's family, if it's life, whatever it is, my, my, I have an open door policy and I, I, I you know, whether you're the, the rookie on the team or whether you're the 15th, 16 year guy on the team or the star on the team, my, I have an open door policy. I'm, I'm there for everybody. I sense that there were sort of two different conversations about your time in Portland. There was one when you were out of the league and you signed with Portland to come in in November of 19. And then there was the conversation in free agency this year when all of a sudden you had a lot of options, you could have done some things. I know you probably could have gotten made more money somewhere else on with different exceptions available. And I know the one thing Neil O'Shea said to you was, what we're going to do here for you and what we're trying to do is to guard your legacy, to help protect your legacy. How did you interpret that? And what has that meant? Was that something that was important to hear and, and you sort of have seen kind of play out in your time with the Blazers? Well, yeah. I mean, you don't – in this league and in, in, in just sports period, you don't hear things like that. You don't hear – you know, an organization or the president of an organization of a professional organization come to a player and sit down and, and, and very honest and and, and 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 let them know, look, we're here. I'm I want to protect your legacy. Like you don't hear people talk about that. You don't hear no one talk about other other people's legacies. It's it's always you kind of what can you do for us? You know, you can do this. No, okay, cool. Like we was on to the next. Um, and in this situation here in Portland, my biggest thing was let's be honest with each other. Let's be transparent with one another. Let's whatever it is, let's put the options out there on the table. And if I feel comfortable with that, then I'll get back to you guys and, and, and we can and we can work on that. But I already knew kind of what I wanted to do. You know, I, I knew I was I was comfortable here in Portland. Um, you know, we had the first first part of the season was you know was going was going well. I was just getting my feet wet. Uh, and then we had the stoppage and then the bubble came. And that's when I felt like I, me personally, I approached that as this was my second season with the Portland Trailblazers. So I was very comfortable and, you know, and very solid and, 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 and ready to go in, in, in the bubble, so to say. I was here in Portland that whole time, that whole stretch. I think that helped just being here, being able to lock in and get ready for the bubble. And then coming back now, with all the guys coming back and us really understanding we have an opportunity to do something special here with this group and this team. So, you know, we was in communication. I was in communication with Dame and CJ and those guys and, and Neil. And I just let Neil know, listen, it's not a, with me. I just need you to be honest with me. Just be upfront with me. Just be open with me. And let's, let's have a open dialogue. Let's see where we can come to a, you know, middle ground and what can work and what can't work. And if it can't work, I appreciate you guys. You guys gave me the opportunity to come back and, and, and get back into this game and find my love again. But that, was, that wasn't the case. And now I'm here and it's, it's going, it's, it's continued to go well. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, 
They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Be sure to listen to the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney. That's back Monday through Friday. Be sure to check out his episode with Dr. Anthony Fauci on the feasibility of having a full baseball season and what he would tell players about being vaccinated. Buster also speaks to World Series winning manager Dave Roberts and his counterpart in the other dugout, Rays manager Kevin Cash. Be on the lookout for Jeff Passan on the Baseball Tonight podcast also throughout the season, the great ESPN Baseball Insider. That's the Baseball Tonight podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. People who you played with, coached you, front offices in the past, they look at the kind of condition you are in now and the way that you're moving, the way you're defending. I think even when you signed with Portland last year, they really didn't know what kind of shape you were in. They didn't know what you looked like. They didn't bring you in for a workout. And you walked in the gym, and I think there was like a, oh, he looks good. He, <laughs> like you were in shape. Um, how did your thinking evolve on that? And when you look at the way you have remade your body, is that allowing you to do this now at 36 years old and be able to continue to play if you decide you want to do that into your late 30s? Well, yeah. I mean, my, my, my physical condition uh, was a major key. Um, my, my mental, you know, condition was major, you know, on that break, it was, I had to really, I had to really get to a place mentally and say, you know what, this is what it is. Like, I, you know, I, I, I got to accept this, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but I'm going to continue doing what I do. I, I love to train. Anybody who knows me would tell you that I love to train. I love to work out. I love being, I'm a gym rat and people know, and people that know me knows that. And at that time of the, you know, on that break of mine, I I wasn't in the business of letting people or caring about what people were saying as far as, is he in the gym? What is he doing? What does he look like? What is, I didn't care. I knew what I was doing. The people around me knew, knew you know, knew what I was doing. I knew I was in, you know, great shape. That's why when I got the call, you know, about Portland, it was like, you know, how, 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 you know, what's your, what, what you look like? What's your shape? And I'm like, I'm ready to go. You know, I've been sitting there, even though I've been away from the game for about a year and some change, I'm ready to go. So whenever you pull a trigger, I'm ready to go. And I'm not about to send you no pictures. I'm not about to send you no video. But when you see me, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the work that I've been putting in with, with my body and my mindset. And now I mean, I'm able to do this this stuff now because of the resources that I, you know, that we have today that's that's in front of us, the type of training, you know, that that it takes today to to, to be at this level. And I also know I'm 36 years old. My body is the most important thing. It is it's not about making shots, missing shots, and, you know, games and back-to-backs. As long as my body is right, I can go out there and perform. So that's that's been my, my number one priority. Mel, I think there's three guys left from your McDonald's All-American, Jordan Classic All-American class. I think there's three guys left in the NBA Me from that class. JJ. Mm-hmm. Iguodala? No. Iguodala. Iguodala, yeah. 
Yeah, it's when you think about the perspective you have on the league now, what's the most dramatic difference or two about what it means to come into the NBA and find your way now in 2021 versus what it was like and what you remember the challenges being in 2003? I think it's a lot, it's a lot different. Is when I when I came in in 03, you had to go, you had to earn it. You had to really prove to everybody that you were that guy. Especially in, in our case, right? We we myself, LeBron, D Wade, like we we came into this league and we were given organizations and saying, here, like take this organization and do something with it. You know, that was the pressure that we had on us back back then. Um nowadays it's you know, I, I wouldn't say it's easier, um, but I think guys are coming into the game a little bit more refined than, than, than what we did, you know, back in 2003. You know, guys having, as I spoke on this earlier, the resources and the, the different the training and, you know, different trainers. And, and that, that goes a long way, you know, when, when you have programs that are put in place for you at 19, 20 years old, you're coming into a game, you know, into a professional league. That goes a long way. That that makes the transition a lot easier. So that's why you don't see, you know, as many quote unquote rookie walls today, right? Because you know, mm-hmm. guys are really you know emphasizing what how they working out, and you know, the teams are you know has a, has a lot more focus on the training aspect and, and and making sure guys get rest and body and nutrition. And before we didn't have all of that. It was just like come on in, take this organization. Go get in the cold tub or ice. Go put some ice on and, and, and get ready. You know, when you came in in Denver into a really bad losing organization, I think they won 16, 17, 18 games the year before you got there. And you get them into the playoffs and you're in the playoffs every year and you eventually get to a conference final. Like when you're going through it, I imagine like this is the NBA I know. This is a team I've came in with. This is what's normal. Then you're in the league for a long time and you look back at Denver and you go, that wasn't that normal, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, you had a cast of guys there, but I think people forget you had Dennis Rodman in training camp. I, I think your second year, 43-year-old Dennis Rodman. What, what was that like? Dennis Rodman, you know, he was, I mean, again, he was 43 years old. For me, it wasn't even about basketball at that point with him. It was just like, holy, like, yo, I got the worm. I got Dennis Rodman in my locker room for training camp. Like, this is this is mind-boggling. Like, this is baffling for me to be here sitting next to Dennis Rodman and him in training camp with us. And, like, that, I, I would never, ever forget that moment. You know, just walking into the locker room and just seeing Dennis Rodman in the locker room. I had Sean Kemp. Came came through at, 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 you know for tr- for training camp one time. Master P came in for training camp at one that's time. Right. That's right. Master P had a run of camps. He was, I think the Nuggets might have been the last one. Absolutely. So these you know you come into training camp. These are guys that's just like wow. You know I can't believe I'm sitting in this locker room with these guys. Yeah, and and as you built that team, you bring in Kenyon Martin from New Jersey. You bring in J.R. Smith, who was. At the time, you really needed that athletic playmaking guard, two guard. He was that. You start winning. And then here comes AI from Philadelphia. I think people forget. I don't think they forget, but I think there was the first season. I think Allen Iverson actually 
think he scored a point and a half or two points more than you did. You allowed Allen. That was your team. And I guess just when, when you think back to that time and that group, and like I'm not even talking about, and I don't think the average fan now would know, Denver was a different organization. You had, you know, uh, you know, God rest his soul, Brett Barrup. Yes. Who was sort of in the front office, but not really, but was in the right in the front office. It it was. And then George Carl, your coach, who was there was always drama around George and the team and relationships. I think it's pretty remarkable how much your team won, given all of it. Yeah. I mean, we but also what, what helped that what helped that that process go the way that it went. We stuck together as players first so you know we and again this this comes down to having veteran presence in the locker room because we had guys in the locker room that wouldn't let a lot of the bs come through that locker room right whatever was happening in the media or with george carl or front office it didn't affect us in that locker room because we had veteran we had veteran presence in there that that's like no we're not dealing with that in here. Like, we're about to play basketball. This is about us. This is about us going out there trying to win. And we had that mindset. So when you have that mindset, nothing else nothing else really matters. When I reflect back on those seven and a half years in Denver, like you said, I thought it was, oh, this is fun. This is cool. Like, when you're in it, you're in it. You're enjoying it. But when you look back, it's like, damn, I can't believe that I survived that. You know, it's, you know, I, I had Jeff Bisdelic as my first coach. You know, then middle of the season the next year, George Call comes. We go on a nice run. We get players. Okay, now we started making a, making a name for ourselves in Denver. Front office was all over the place. We had about three, four GMs at one time, assistant GMs. It, 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 was, it was so much. And then, and then like three different guys all vying at the same time to be in charge. Like Absolutely. every week somebody else was in charge. Absolutely. Right? Also, George, you know, George Carl was, you know, he, he wanted to be the, the, the GM coach. Now, that was the thing for him back then. So players in and out, like it was just so much that we had to deal with. But we got through it. And I think that's what made our teams like gave us that toughness, because no matter what, we was resilient. And we was we was going through it. And then when we got AI, it was like, holy, shit, OK, we we about to get him or he's coming over here. And it was more so on me. And I think that was the first time that I really had to sacrifice or made a sacrifice that and it, that sacrifice really goes unknown today. But that was the first time I had to sacrifice because I had a guy coming from Philadelphia who was on at, still at the top of his game. I mean, he was he came to us and averaging 28, 27, 28 that year. And for me, it was like I was just a kid in the candy store. Yo, here. Hey, I hear your turn. Go like, it's you know, we we. And that's what made our relationship become what it is today because I've never tried to overshadow him. He's never tried to overshadow me. And we, we used to just play play you know, play these little internal games with each other when we go play against other teams. Did you have any heads up that they were going to do the AI for Chauncey Billups trade? Not at the very last minute. The very last minute. Uh, I do remember, I do recall there was conversations about us needing a point guard at that point in time. But it wasn't AA, I like AI wasn't in it, it wasn't in that conversation. Uh so I, I walk into the arena and I just see cameras and cameras and I'm like, man, it's not a TV game tonight. What's what's all these cameras for? What happened? And me and AI was in the back in the locker room and he's just like, he got, you know, they they pulled him out the locker room. And 
He told me, I'm like, oh, no, like we, but we just getting started. Like this is, this is what we need. This is what I needed. You know, I needed somebody like him to, to come play alongside me. I needed, I needed that. And it was just bittersweet because I didn't want to see him go, but also getting somebody back like Chauncey was like, it, it made it, it made it a little bit easier, but it still was, was, it was very difficult at, at that point in time. Cause me and, me and AI had a, a very good relationship. So to see how that all went down, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was hurtful. There, there's one thing in that stretch of time that I, you've had this incredible Olympic career, three gold medals. There's, it's so fun. Like, you know, there's like, there's all these versions of mellow. There's Denver mellow. There's Olympic mellow. There's like skinny mellow. That's the right. They call it skinny mellow. Uh, but the, again, and we went through at the beginning, like all the winning you did and all the production you had in Beijing, in London, and in Rio with the Olympic team. But 2004 in Athens, that team and that group, I, Carmelo, I, I remember sitting courtside for that first game against Puerto Rico. In, Jackson, where, in Jacksonville or Athens? In Athens. Oh, okay, in Athens. And, I mean, they absolutely drilled you guys. Oh, I've yeah. never been more shocked watching – like. We knew there were some issues with your team and how it was put together. And Larry Brown was having, you know, you you know, Larry was <laughs> bouncing Larry. off the walls He's there Larry. with everything, right? But I didn't expect, I mean, Carlos Arroyo just went up and down. I mean, here you guys have AI and Marbury were your backcourt. Yep. And that first game set the tone for the whole Olympics. You ended up getting a bronze. You you really but there was you and LeBron and Dwayne Wade, and I think D Wade was playing a little more initially. Yeah, uh, LeBron a little less, and you weren't play well initially. You didn't play at all, and I always wondered. You knew how close George Carl and Larry Brown were. If he was all of that came, all of that came in, the, in my mind was was circulating. What was it like from the perspective of you? You guys were all 19, 20 years old at, at the oldest. And that it was not like, you know, Richard Jefferson was a starter on that team, Carlos Boozer, but Larry Brown just wasn't going to play you guys. He wasn't turning that thing over to you. It, I, I always wondered how different it might have been if he had. I, I guess you might, too. Well, it was, you know, prior to, prior to that, you know, the team was the team was set already before we even committed to Team USA. Um, and then everybody started backing out. You know, all the guys started backing out of the of the Olympic team in, in 04. And we get the call last, like the last, it's like two weeks before we got to go. And they're like, you know, do you guys want to come on a USA team, an Olympic team? We're like, hell yeah. Like, okay, let's go. Like, this is, everybody's backing out. This is, we're going we gonna, to we gonna go over there and play. And we have the exhibition games and we're traveling and we're actually playing in those games. And like, we're winning and, even if we was losing the five hour five, we started calling ourselves the young guns. When we came into the game, we changed the dynamic of the game. You know, we were, we was faster. We was athletic. We was younger. We was hungrier. And it, and, and we were just having, we were just happy to be there. And then once we get to Athens and we play Puerto Rico, it's like, like Tweety birds just going, like, what's, what's happening here? And we, we, we didn't play that much. 
we didn't play that much. And that was the one again, that was that was a bittersweet game, too, because yes, I was upset that bitter that we we lost for once. First game in the Olympics. Uh I didn't play. So I was, you know, I was angry and bitter about that. But also the, the sweet part about that was it was Puerto Rico. So on one hand, I'm like, oh, like this is, you know, these are my people, you know. So I'm looking in the stands and I'm see the Puerto Rican flag and you know they 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 dancing and they singing and they you know they they playing the instruments and it it was a it was a vibe it was a pride that you know the, like Puerto Rico had and Puerto Ricans had so a part of me was angry but then I was like you know trying to enjoy the the energy that you know the, the pride the pride that that we have as Puerto Ricans so that was bittersweet man it, that was just one that was just like man I wish I could I wish I could do this all over again. Um, but it was something I, I didn't understand either. I can admit that I, I didn't understand the Olympics at that point in time. I didn't understand, you know, what Larry Brown wanted or what he needed, or was it just the fact that he wasn't going to play us as young as young guys? Like we, he didn't think we was ready to go out there and play. I I remember as soon as he got to the Olympics, he was already complaining about the roster. He was already making excuses for the fact that we are going to win. And it is not going to be my fault. And I always sense the team sense that too. It was a lot of, there was a lot of tension there. Greg Popovich was one of his assistants. And yes. Tim Duncan was on the team. Yes. And Tim was really frustrated because he was always in foul trouble. I remember we get into, I think he said after the last game or one of them, you know, uh, basically F FIBA. I think he said F FIBA in the mix zone, right? Um, but was that tension there with Larry from the very beginning with, with everybody? Yeah, it was again, I we was we was naive to the, you know, to what how Larry Brown was, you know, with the respect that he, you know, that 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 he had around the league and just in the game of basketball. We was naive to how he was as a coach. We we never experienced that. We never had that. And we knew all we only thing we knew was his relationship with with AI in Philly at that point in time. So it's like, oh, we got to deal with the AI and Larry Brown. But it was almost like reversed because Allen started picking on Marbury. You know, it was like Marbury and, and, and Larry going at it. And then you had Popovich and AI going at it. So it was like, the, <laughs> it was reversed. And we was just, you had the young guys over here. You had the older guys over here. You had Tim Duncan over here who was just, you know, Tim is Tim. And it really put in perspective that last game when Tim was just like, yo, this is bull Like, this is, there's no way we're supposed to be in this position. And when you hear somebody like Tim Duncan says say that in the locker room, and it's like, damn, okay, I didn't, I don't, I don't feel bad for feeling the way that I feel. If Tim Duncan feels like that, and he's saying it, oh, it, this is real. 2008 is like, they call it the redeem team, and you guys come and you roll through in Beijing, had that one tough game. I think one of the tough games was a Spain game. You were up like 17. They cut it to like one or two, and then you guys went on a run and closed them out at the end. And that's where I think really that time and place was when the conversation started to get serious about, you know, with LeBron James, with Dwayne, Chris Bosh was obviously there, you're there, about can we can we do this in the NBA? Is there a way that we can play together and 
all of a sudden here comes 2010 and those guys are working on the Miami thing or initially, I mean, there were other options. There was like, maybe it would be New York, maybe it would be Chicago, but it's going to be Miami. But you had signed when those guys had done four years with player option, you had done five with the player option and you got left out of it. I think looking back, is there any doubt in your mind the big three in Miami would have been LeBron, D. Wade, and Melo? Well, it, it probably wouldn't have panned. It probably wouldn't have ended, came up like that. It probably would have been me and LeBron somewhere and D. Wade and Bosch somewhere, right? Like, it, it was always, you know, after that, the talk was, you know, where are we going? Like, where can we go? Like, where can we partner up at? Where can we team up at? You know, like, this is too good. Like, we want this feeling forever. Like, we want to experience playing with other great players. Like, we want that. Where can we go? You know, it was it was options. It was a lot of options out there. It was a lot of conversations out there. And, and you know, and, and at this time, you also you, you start throwing Chris Paul into the mix now. It's like, you know, it's, it's all of these conversations was had. And, it, you know, it, it was just random, you know, random conversations. But it was like, what would that be like? Because for so long, so long prior to that, the NBA was everybody had their own team. You know, it, it, we, we wasn't teaming up with nobody. You know, it was I had Denver, Brown had Cleveland, D-Wade, Miami. You know, CP was in New Orleans, AI Philly, you know, T-Mac. It was like every Kobe, Lakers, everybody had their own team. So nobody was really teaming up like that. So that was a part that was a part of my decision making and not signing a shorter term deal because I was out of all of us at that moment. I felt the most comfortable and the most confident in my situation in Denver. We were winning. We were having, you know, somewhat some success and we were we were building off of previous years. So it was like, no, I'm not I didn't want to sign a five year. I mean, sign a three year deal with an option. No, I want to. I want to be here long term. Like this is my team. This is my organization. This is my city. I want to be here long term, and that was my thinking at that point in time. But also, I didn't understand the business of the game. You know, I didn't understand what really going into a lockout mean that next year, or you know, getting to a team or signing signing a three year deal as opposed to a four or five year deal, being a free agent. I didn't understand that information. I didn't. I didn't fathom that. When you're talking about that in 08, would Kobe ever be involved in any of those conversations? Did he even he was, was he commenting on listening to this? I was the only I was the only one in the West, right? So it was I was always connected some way somehow with the Lakers, some way somehow, and it was com- you know it was conversations of, yo, come on, like, are you gonna come to the Lakers or what? Like it was you know it was it was that like let's make this happen, and it was just like ah. I, I don't think I could do it because we fight. We battle each other every single – you know what I mean? Like, we fighting each other every night. We having battles. I don't know if – I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if L.A. is actually on the radar at that point. I don't know if nobody was on the radar at, at that point in time. When you think back to it, if it played out that way where D-Wade and Bosh went somewhere and you and LeBron paired up, where do you think it would have been? <laughs> Honestly, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. It could have been New York. You know, it it, it could have been. No, it could have been New York. 
um, I, I, I didn't see no other place of us of us going. Um, it could have been Miami. You know, we we all could have went down there to Miami. I don't know if there were, you know, it could have been a way where all four of us could have got to Miami. Um, we, you know, we'd, it, we'd have had to take pay cuts, but I think at that point in time, you know, those guys took pay cuts anyway. Mm-hmm. So at that point in time, it was just like, what what's the numbers look like? You know, could we really do this or, or, or not? So I don't I don't know where we would have ended up at. I, I just don't know. Stephen A's World streams weekdays on ESPN Plus, bringing fans Stephen A. Smith's entertaining perspective and deep expertise with signature guests. The best interviews from Stephen A's World are now available as a podcast every Wednesday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and watch Stephen A's World on ESPN+. Plus. You might even catch baby Stephen A, who's my personal favorite. I don't know if you've ever talked about this or if you ever think back to this, Mello. 2011 All-Star Game in L.A., it's a few days before you get traded to the Knicks. I was told about a meeting that took place. You know what meeting I'm talking about? Which one? There's a couple. <laughs> um, a meeting that included the Knicks owner, Jim Dolan. Yep. The Nuggets, including your, at the time, your GM, Masai Ujiri. Yep. Uh, you, like Leon Rose, who was your agent then, obviously now the president of the Knicks. Bay Frazier, yep. your longtime friend, manager. There was a meeting that was, okay, are we going to get this thing done, right? All-Star Weekend in L.A. What, what do you remember about that? Everything. <laughs> I remember everything about it. You know, going into All-Star Weekend in L.A., it was, at this point in time, we had already had previous conversations with Denver going into the season around July, you know, and, and we met with Denver and Masai had just came on as a GM and at this point in time, now I'm starting to understand, okay, who's leaving, you know, who's who they trying to trade, what players they want to bring in, who's not going to be here, contracts is, is expired, you know, how the team is just going to be broken up at this point in time. So in my mind, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of, I just came, we just came off of Western Conference Finals. Like, I don't want to be a part of rebuilding. I don't want to rebuild in, in my seventh season in the NBA. So... If you guys want to rebuild, it's cool, but let's let's work something out. Let's figure something out. And that was the conversation we had in July. So fast forward to the beginning of the season, and I have to go back to Denver. That never was that never was supposed to happen. I've never even supposed to step foot back in Denver prior to media day. So I go back to media day, and I'm, okay, I'm here. I'm just going to play, whatever it is it is. And then we get to All-Star Weekend, and it's like, Everybody is just, where's he going? What team is this? What team is this? And I think Denver was feeling a little bit pressure at that point in time with Masai just being new to it and him coming on board so late when I think the decision was already made. And it was talks about, you know, George Carl, they wanted to send me to Utah. They, you know, it was, they had deals with Utah on the table for like Derek Favors. And, you know, George Carl was in love with Derek Favors at, at that point in time. Derek Favors and somebody else. And it was it was a Laker deal supposed to be on the table. And, you know, I, I think it was like Lamar Odom and, and, and Bynum or somebody like that as part of the deal. So those was those was talks 
But then you have New Jersey Nets at the point at this time, and they're going full throttle. And New York comes in at the 25th hour, and we have a meeting with with with, with New York, the infamous meeting, three o'clock in the morning, and it's just like, what are we going to do? Like at this point, we we have to really make this decision. We have to figure this out. If New York is if New York is going to be the place. We might just sit down, break bread, let's figure this out, and let's make let's make this happen. And a lot of the antics that happened throughout that meeting, I don't want to get into details with that, but that will probably be one of the most memorable meetings I've ever, ever had. I yeah, I, I've heard a few <laughs> antics described in there, but essentially, and I can't imagine this has ever happened in the history of the league. You you essentially watched and listened to them negotiate the terms of the trade for you. Who New York's going to give up? Who needs to be in the deal? How many picks? And like you're you're sitting there watching them do it, and also seeing, also probably in your mind going, who exactly am I going to play with there? They're sending a lot it was, back it was, here, right? It was a lot. It was it was a lot from the Denver side as far as, um, you know. They were saying, like, listen, New York, at this point, they were saying, New York don't have nothing that we will want back. At, <laughs> They've at been saying that for a long time, yeah. Well, at first, it was just like, it ain't, like, we're not just going to give up Melo for anybody. So you guys got to really come to the table with something. And New York never had a deal on the table. It was never a deal with New York. And knowing that, there was a deal with New Jersey on the table. And it was a very favorite, favorable deal for the Denver Nuggets at that point in time. And I think that's where that got the ball rolling. And when New York saw that, that it was a lot, it was seriousness with New Jersey and being the fact that Brooklyn, they was moving to Brooklyn uh, another season after Mm -hmm. that. So there was some, there was a lot of interest when it came to, okay, they going to Brooklyn. You know, if I wait until after the, the lockout, I can have a chance to go to Brooklyn, like start that off and, you know, being born in Brooklyn, going back home, it was it was a lot of those conversations. But New York never had a deal on the table. They just didn't know who was part of the deal. So it was a bunch of names that was just being thrown out there. And Denver was just like, okay, this is who we want in the deal. And I'm hearing it again, like you said, I'm sitting there, I'm hearing what Denver want, I'm hearing what New York don't want to give up. I'm hearing, you know, names, and I'm just sitting there like, are we about to are we about to nix this trade because of this player? Or you know what I mean? Like it was just like, no, y'all, I'm not worth that to you guys. <laughs> this is what I'm thinking as a player at that point in time. Cause I'm in the room, I'm in the at the table at this negotiation. Um then, you know, I, I just think that Denver came to realize that we have to make this happen. Um, let's just let's just ask for, you know, everything that we want and see what we get and go from there. And they got everything. They wanted. I mean, besides was a first time, first year GM. They got the picks. They got the players. Yeah. I and think I the last name. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave. I, I want to make that clear. Denver. I've sat with Masai. I've sat with you know with, with Josh Kroenke prior to that, and it was like, look, I want to be here. Don't, I don't. I'm not. I don't want to just get up and leave. But I mean, new GM coming in here. You know, contracts is up. Guys are you know talking about getting traded. Um, they wasn't going to re-sign Chauncey back. 
you know, they was trying to trade JR and Kmart was, you know, it was a bunch of things that was just going on aside from me and my situation there. And in the end, you said the last Mozgov was the last name, right? Mozgov <laughs> at the end, we want Mozgov too is the we end want, of it, right? We want, we want Mozgov. That was a deal. Timothy Mozgov, Mozgov was the deal breaker in the New York trade. Yeah. And while Mozgov was in the deal and, and, you know, you went to New York and, and you look back and we see players going through this all the time. We see, we saw James Harden involved. We see in other sports now, Deshaun Watson and uh, Houston in the NFL. And I, I think it's one of the most difficult things for a player because if you want a trade and you're pushing an organization to do it, and like you said at the time, it was starting to go in another direction. You're in your prime. You're seeing your peers in Miami like those guys, they put that together. You go, okay, I've got to get somewhere where I can compete with that. And if you're going to just be, and I know you were, like you were real professional that year in Denver and you were frustrated at times and you guys were going, talking through it a lot, but it is not always rewarded to go in and just be, I'm going to make life absolutely easy for you guys. Well, then the incentive to trade you yeah. is is less, right? Like that's the catch 22. But if you do the things you need to do to push, then you become the villain. I, I I totally agree with you on that. I never wanted to be, I never wanted it the 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 narrative to be Melo forced his way out of Denver. I mean, it, it it ended up being a narrative anyway. But that wasn't never that wasn't never the that wasn't never the case. I've never said I'm not showing up, trade me, or I'm you know I'm not going to come around, or I'm not going to. You know, it was it was real conversations that I've had with Masai and Josh Kroenke prior to that season. Um, you know, and, and if we if we figured it out, we figured it out. If not, then I'm still I'm here. Like I'm going to be here. I'm just letting you guys know I'm not going to deal with the media circus that's going to come along with this. I'm going to say it one time and one time only. I'm not going to answer this question anymore. And at that moment, when I knew I had to go to media day in Denver. It was just like, okay, I'm going to be here. Let me lock in on basketball. Let me lock in and play basketball. Don't even worry about all the other stuff. It'll, it'll, it'll play itself out. But the one thing I didn't want to do was, frat, was fracture my locker room. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be, you know, the, 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 the snobby star who just come in and do whatever he want. I still was there early. I still was there late. I still was, you know – performing at a high at a high level that year I still was you know making sure every everybody was good like I, I just had that on me I just wanted to prove that to everybody like no matter what is happening on the outside I'm still going to be professional I'm still going to come to work every single day Melo you're going to go into the Hall of Fame someday and the NBA you know the baseball Hall of Fame like players got to pick the hat of the team they're going to wear in right like, and there's always players who've played in different places and they go, where am I? Like, I just always remember that the NBA, they don't, you just go into it. They don't put, like, you don't have a jersey on your bust. But thinking about it now, if, if this was baseball and you had to put a hat on, the Nuggets, the Knicks, <laughs> all right, the Thunder, the Rockets, <laughs> probably not a Rocket or a Thunder hat. But we know it's really two teams. It's two places. What would it be for you? That's a tough question. And I, I say that's a, that's a tough question 
Um, and it's a tough way to look at it because I, what I what I've done in in Denver for seven and a half years, and and what I've created in Denver. Um, now that I look back, it was special, right? To come into an organization, into a city, just green. I was green to everything. Like it was, you know, Denver, Colorado at 19 years old, you know, coming into an organization who previously the year before won 18 games, the year before that, they, you know, they've just been, it's been the losing organization. And to come in and, and, and to create a culture, not just on the court, but off the court in that city, you know, from changing the colors of the uniform, right, to just nightlife in, in, in Denver, to, you know, people wanting to spend time and in, in actually in Denver and looking forward to coming to games in Denver. Like, that was more exciting to me. Like, you look on court side and like, oh, so-and-so is here. Like, what they doing in Denver is like, that, that was the culture that I was happy that I was a part of. Um, so I, I will always say Denver will always be, kind of top notch when it when it comes to that and top of my list and then new york was something totally different like new york was just i came there right before my prime like i wasn't even i didn't even feel like i was in my prime at, at that point like i was just hitting my prime at that point in time coming into a city um energy you know help and helping energize a city coming to play with you know another star player like amari stoudemire he already had it rolling in new york prior to our to you know prior to i got there so i had to accept that fact as well and i wanted to bring him along with me but just being in new york that energy it heightened it, it, it was time it was times 10 and just being able to participate and play in the, in the garden like that's a different experience and i you know I, I don't think people understand that unless they have or had that experience what that does you know and so New York will always be, I think I will always be now because of the times and, you know, this generation now see me more or may know me more from being in New York as opposed to Denver. So I, would, I probably would say New York at, at, at this point in time. Yeah, well, listen, there's a lot more basketball ahead for you, Mello. This Blazer team is, I think, one of these stories of the season and, and your part in it. Appreciate you taking the time out and uh, – We'll catch up soon, Mello. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest, NBA great Carmelo Anthony of the Portland Trailblazers. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your pods. Also, don't forget to check out the Low Post with Zach Lowe, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhurst, and Baseball Tonight with Buster Olney. Be on the lookout for Jeff Passan all season long. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.